Welcome to the Citizens Youth Podcast. Citizens Youth is a ministry of Northwest Gospel Church in Vancouver, Washington. Citizens is a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, visit us online at nwgospel.com forward slash citizens. You guys doing good? Hey, I, uh, I was walking through the room a little bit earlier, and I saw this middle school boy about four rows deep sitting there just like, like something was wrong. I was like, this kid is tweaked. What's going on? So I walk over to inspect this hyped sixth grader, and what I find <laughs> as, I, as I look into his seat, he has double-fisted Cocoa Puffs and Lucky Charms sitting in his seat eating them at the same time. How many know it's going to be a good night, right? Yeah, I see you, hyper sixth grader. I see you. Oh, man. If he starts shaking, somebody just tranquilize him. Just right in the neck. Right in the neck. You have a Rubik's Cube? That will work. That will work. Hey, welcome, guys. It is good to be here. If I have not met you, my name is Sam. I'm the family life pastor here. And what we are about to do... What we are about, do you know what we're about to do? How many people know what we're about to do? They're not ready, Mikey. They're not ready. You know, let's try this again next week. I don't think they're ready, Liv. They're not ready. Hey, listen, if you are new here, if you, hey, you're new. I don't know you. Hey, let's connect afterwards, all right? I got candy for you. Free candy and soda, all right? You're new? I got candy and soda. Candy and soda for everybody. <laughs> Michelle's somewhere scolding me right now. Sorry, Michelle. All right, so here's what we're doing, right? What we're about to do, what we're about to do is something that you cannot do anywhere else. How many of you on a sports team can't do it there? How many of you guys go to high school can't do it there? Definitely can't do it there, right? What we are about to do, look around. This is a community of students who are about to open up the Bible because we believe that this is God's word. And we're going to listen to it taught. And we're going to say, God, have your way in my life. Pretty simple. Yeah, profound, right? And so if you're new here, if you're new here, I'll just help you out ahead of time. You, when you look around, you're probably not going to see people on their phone. You're probably not going to see the snap action happening. You know what I mean? You're not going to see people poking each other and just playing, playing no slap backs, right? Because what we're doing here. This is, this is serious. We're going to have fun. Trust me. <laughs> we're about to have fun. We're going to have fun. But like what we're doing here, we believe that what we're doing here holds the balance of life and death. How many of you guys know that math class isn't going to make or break your eternity? I'm just saying, there's one kid in the AP in the back. Oh, no, geometry matters. <laughs> right? Uh, right? How many of you know that your ability to handle Shakespeare is not going to change your eternity? <laughs> yeah, you do. But students, for the next 30 minutes, we're going to do what you can't do anywhere else as a teenager. We are going to come together. We're going to buck the low expectations that are set on your generation. And we're going to talk about things that really matter. We're going to talk about things that other people laugh about because they don't get it. But when, we, when you understand what's going on here, you go, oh my gosh, this is so much bigger than me and I want it. 
This is God's word. Are you ready? You guys want to get in the car with me? Let's do it. All right. Let me pray. Let me pray. And then we're going to jump in here, okay? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this community. Lord, to hear over a hundred students singing out, this is all my hope. This is all my righteousness, Lord. It is beautiful because, Lord, in a world that is offering hope on every street corner, we know that you are our only hope. And so, God, I pray that you would open up our minds. I pray that you would increase the capacity of our hearts to actually see Jesus Christ and to savor him, that you would give us the ability to see how valuable he is and to actually treasure him in our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us. Forgive us for the low thoughts that we have of you. Forgive us for how forgetful we are. Forgive us that we are all too easily satisfied on things that are garbage. But Lord, we ask you tonight that you would save us. Lord, that you would speak to us, that you would continue to grow us and set us apart for yourselves and, create, and make us mature young men and women. We love you, God. I pray that you would hide me behind your word. God, I, I know that I have nothing to say, but we all, including myself, we're listening to your spirit speak to us. We pray that all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. The title of my message tonight is Fight Club. The title of my message tonight is Fight Club. Now, I understand the irony of this, right? I understand the irony that by calling my title Fight Club, I'm immediately breaking the first rule of it. What's the first rule? I know. We actually have a little bit of a history here of Fight Club, don't we? Where are my campers at? Yeah. I'm just like, yeah, we do. Yeah. But I'm not going to talk about that, right? I understand the irony. I'm breaking the first rule, but I'm here to tell you tonight that I'm actually in good company. What if I told you that the Bible talked about Fight Club? What if I told you, not only does the Bible talk about Fight Club, everybody in the front row is like, right? Yo, he's ready. He's ready. You're ready, dude. I love you, Mikey. You doing good? Let's talk about it. Let's do this. All right. Not only does the Bible talk about Fight Club, I'm here to tell you that the Bible has an entire book devoted to Fight Club. You know what the book is? It's the book of Revelation. What do you know about the book of Revelation, students? What do you know? Oh, that's the book of the Bible. Very good. How many of you have heard of the book of Revelation? Hands high. Let me see it. How many of you have never heard of the book of Revelation? Anybody? Okay, so we all know. What do you know? What do you know? Just shout it out. Come on. He's coming back. It's about the end times. It's about the future. Future. What else? It's a scroll. There's a scroll. Yes, that is a true statement. Others. Okay. When you think about revelation in our culture, we usually immediately think of the end, right? And so imagine you go to a baseball game. Maybe you went to the Blazers game last night. Rip. City. <laughs> you go to the Blazers game and on the corner of the arena, there's a guy with a sandwich board sign on and he's screaming out the end is near and he has a quote from Revelation. Wow. Okay. Perhaps, how many of you have ever tried to read the book of Revelation? Okay. 
and you're like, I'm going to read Revelation. Why? Because somebody dared me. Okay. So you read it and you realize that there are these images that you have no idea what's happening. And you're like, I'm going to read it. So you get three chapters in. You're like, okay, that's cool. And now there's a beast with seven heads getting thrown into a lake of fire with an army of arrows. Skirt. <laughs> Maybe that's what you think of when you hear Revelation. Others of you, I know there are quite a few that, are, that share the Burchette last name. Perhaps when you hear Revelation, you think of my boy, Kurt Cameron. How many of you have ever read the books, the Left Behind series? Stop it, there's that many of you? How many of you have ever seen the movie? Oh my gosh, we have a lot of work to do. <laughs> How long will it take me to delete everything you know from those movies, huh? Funny story, um, I don't know if you guys know this, they actually re-released Left Behind with um, Nicolas Cage, right? We're going to find the Declaration of Independence, right? Pretty spot on, right? That's Nicolas Cage. You don't know who Nicolas Cage is? Don't talk for the rest of the sermon, you're done. You're in timeout. You're in timeout. So the funny thing is though, the funny thing is, listen, check it, check it, check it. The new directors, <laughs> the new directors, dude, I swear, this is a true statement. They said, you know what? We're not going to read any of the original books. We're only going to watch the Kirk Cameron movie because we want it to be as close to his movie. Yeah, it was, they're both bad. It's bad. What do you know about the book of Revelation? And so I'm here today to set the record straight because for the next several weeks, we are going to spend our time in the very last book of the Bible. So go ahead and open it. Open up to the last book of the Bible, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And if you are going to understand this, if you are going to erase images of Kirk Cameron and Nicolas Cage and the guy with the sandwich sign, the only way that you can possibly know what the book of Revelation is about is if you understand the audience, okay? So check it out. Paul, we just did Philemon, right? Paul was writing to a specific audience with a specific situation, right? When he wrote the book of Philemon, he was writing it to Philemon. Philemon. When he wrote the book of Philippians, he was writing to the... Oh. So when John writes the book of Revelation, he was writing it to the... Oh, wait, that doesn't work, right? And so you see a lot of confusion about the book of Revelation happens because we actually don't understand who he was writing to. And so John has a specific audience in a specific situation. And we're going to go back, 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 and I'm going to take you there, okay? And so here's the audience. John is writing to seven West Coast churches. Not the West Coast of the United States, West Coast of Asia, Okay, These are seven churches that are in the West Coast and you have to understand what life was like for them because it's not the way it is for you, kind of. We have big churches. We have public gatherings. There are over 100 kids right now in this room that are together that are publicly declaring that they're Christians. Okay, Not so in this day and age. In this day and age, these churches were experiencing intense persecution. And so if you were to go to any of these churches, let's say you go to Ephesus, you would find the same as all seven churches, this situation. First, there's dispersion. Root word there, disperse. If I were to make this room disperse, what would you do? Scatter, right? In this day and age, there were emperors, there were rulers that said, oh, hey, Abby, 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 hey, hey, CJ, you worship Jesus, right? Get up, get out of my country, go somewhere else. 
There were people that because of their religion were being dispersed. They were being scattered all over. And so that's why when you read books like 1 Peter, he's talking about exiles. Oh, they're literally exiled because they follow Jesus. Some of them are experiencing death. You follow Jesus, nice, come to the Colosseum tomorrow, right? People are being murdered for their faith, dragged out of their homes. Not only are these churches experiencing conflict from outside, you would think, all right, if, at least, at least, if I'm gonna receive this kind of conflict from outside, at least I can find some comfort inside the church, right? Not so. These people were rising up from within the church. These teachers. So imagine you show up to church, right? You show up to, to the house, the, the, the church that meets in the house of Philemon. And he's like, hey guys, we have a new brother in the, in the Lord and he just loves to teach the Bible. And so I want you to welcome him up here. He comes up and he starts teaching you. Hey guys, Jesus, awesome. Yeah, but you know what? We actually kind of got it wrong because we're supposed to worship God in the way that makes us happy, right? I know, I know what the book said, but listen, like we got it wrong. And so we wanna do whatever makes us happy because God wants us to be happy. And so people were being led astray, right? So Christians are being killed from the outside. Christians are being killed from the inside, called away. The guy who wrote this book, everybody say John. John, even as he's writing this book to the seven churches, do you know where he is? How many of you have ever been to San Francisco? Yeah. When you drive over the bridge to San Francisco, what is that giant island in, to the left of you? A jail. It is a jail, but you don't know who Nicolas Cage is, so you're not allowed to talk. Others! Alcatraz! Alcatraz! He was on an ancient Alcatraz. He was on the island of Patmos. Do you know how he got to the island of Patmos? He was being a witness to the gospel. He was telling people about Jesus. The authorities grabbed him, boiled him alive in hot oil and took him out and now he's deformed and they say, you will spend the rest of your withering days on an island doing hard labor until you die. This is what the church is facing. If you were to talk to any one of these people in the church, if you were to talk to anybody in Ephesus or Smyrna or Philadelphia or Thyatira or Pergamum, if you were to talk to any of them and said, how are you doing in your walk for God? They would tell you the same thing. They say, bro, this is war. This is war. And you're like, but why don't you just go to your Christian bookshop and buy a nice book on spiritual warfare? This is war. There's no spiritual Christian bookshops. They're stealing our books. They're burning them. And then they throw us on the heap and burn us with them. This is war. It's not Rome versus Israel. It's not Galatia versus Macedonia. This is spiritual warfare, students. Meaning, the enemy of God's people is trying to destroy God's people. The enemy of God's people, Satan. Oh my gosh, did he just say Satan? I can't believe, oh my, we don't talk about that here. Satan, oh my gosh, he's so antiquated. Oh my gosh. What is, is this like a superstitious church? Satan? I just thought we talked about happy things, like loving people. There's an enemy of your soul. 
This is war. And he loves for nothing more than to come and to steal, kill, and destroy God's people. And when you talk to the people in Revelation, what you would find is that Satan had two main strategies, okay? Satan took two different yet very equally destructive approaches to destroying God's people. And the first approach was persecution. This is what I've been talking about. He says, if I can just, you with me, right? If I can just destroy them physically, if I can intimidate them with violence, if I can threaten their very lives, of course, obviously, no one is gonna still stand up for God if their life is on the line. And so his strategy is to use violence so he can tempt them to quit. Oh, you live for Jesus, huh? You die tomorrow at dawn. You still live for Jesus? No, bro, we don't do that, okay? Remember, we don't do that. You still live for Jesus? In those moments, you talk to one of those Christians and they would be honest and say, I'm tempted to quit right now. There was another strategy. Not only did Satan use persecution, he used what I call seduction. And he said, if I can't scare you away from the faith, if I can't intimidate you to walk away from God, if I can't scare you into just giving up, then maybe I'll try to lure you away. Maybe I'll let sin whisper promises of pleasure in your ear. Maybe I will whisper in your ear that there's something better than Jesus, that there's something better than facing death. Come over here. And he says, if I can't scare you out, I'll lure you out. And when people are experiencing that kind of seduction, it's a temptation to compromise. And so here you have the churches of Revelation, persecuted, tempted, tired, scared for their lives. This is war. Students, this was written thousands of years ago to the seven churches of Revelation, to the seven West Coast churches. But students, this, I'm convinced, is extremely relevant for you. If you are a baptized Christian, I wanna do something. If you are a baptized Christian, follower of Jesus Christ, you've gone public with your faith, I want you to stand up right now, stand up. Quiet, stand up. And I want you to look at me for a moment. I want you to look at me. Stop looking around. Look at me. Please, look at me. Welcome to the conflict. I'm glad you're baptized. I'm glad you've decided to live for Jesus. I've given my life for this. I'm glad, obviously, that you are in it to win it. But students, as a pastor, I'm giving you my heart here. Welcome to the fight. Welcome to the war. A couple weeks ago, many of, us got, many of you got baptized and it was beautiful and there's wet embraces and splashes of water. One day when the water evaporates and the wetness of the water is far from your mind and it feels like you're more like a desert than a baptismal tank, I want you to remember this moment. Welcome to the war. Take a seat. This is war, students. This is a fight. There is a war, a war for your soul. And so, what was written to the churches that were warring 2,000 years ago can also be applied 
to today. What was written to the seven churches of West Asia could be written to the seven high schools of Clark County. The conflict that they experienced is yours. Therefore, the words of encouragement that were offered to them is also yours. Some of you guys, when I was talking about Satan's strategy, perhaps you said to yourself, that's a little familiar. Perhaps you go to one of these schools and you've experienced Satan's strategies of war, of persecution. Granted, I'm assuming, okay, I'm assuming that none of you have been pushed to the point of death. Somebody in the back is like, I'm assuming none of you have been physically assaulted for your faith. I'm assuming that none of you have been imprisoned because you stand up and say, I live for Jesus. But how many of you know there's other forms of persecution? Right? And so maybe you're in middle school, maybe you're in high school, and persecution looks like the Snickers, not the candy bar, like snickering, right? Like, oh, you're, (laughs) he's a Christian, right? (laughs) Maybe Maybe you've experienced mockery. Maybe you've been hurled insults, like, hey, Jesus boy, hey, Jesus girl. Oh, somebody's sick. Hey, why don't you get Alex? He'll pray for you. He's a Jesus guy. I think of Tim Tebow, right? Tim Tebow's a polarizing figure, but when you look at a lot of the insults hurled at him, what's the the, the root of it? He's a Christian. That's persecution. And when you as a student experience that persecution, in those moments when you're being honest with yourself, you would say, Sam, I'm tempted to quit. I'm tempted to say, this is not worth it. Look at all those people. They have friends. They're accepted. They're well-liked. Nobody makes fun of the fact that they're Buddhist. Nobody makes fun of the fact that they're atheist. Nobody makes fun of the Muslim. Why is it that I'm living for Jesus if I'm just going to receive so much grief? I want to quit, Sam. That's Satan's strategy. Now, I also know that there's some of you in here that you can't relate with anything I just said. There are some of you in here And I honestly, I'm probably in this camp. I never was really mocked for my faith. There were times in the locker room that I got, you know, oh, you're gay, you're the Jesus gay guy because you won't sleep with girls. Oh, you're the, oh, don't ask him out for the party tonight because he's the Jesus boy. He's not gonna wanna come. I'm like, Jesus doesn't like to eat wings? Like what? I'm just, I was confident enough to give it right back to them, right? Don't invite him out. I'm like, oh, because Jesus didn't drink wine, right? I'm like, you're not 18. That's why you're an idiot. Not because you don't, you know what I mean? Just, I never really received persecution. And so maybe you're here and you go, Sam, I've never experienced this kind of persecution. I'm actually well-liked. My friends actually respect the fact that I'm a Christian. My friends actually claim to be a Christian as well. So actually in my school, being a Christian is popular. I'm glad you're not experiencing that persecution, but I want to make you aware of the fact that you may be experiencing Satan's second strategy. If you're not experiencing that kind of persecution, I guarantee you there's still an enemy for your soul. It just may be that instead of trying to destroy you with persecution, he may be trying to destroy you with seduction. And so you're accepted. 
oh, it's cool to be a Christian. And now all of a sudden you like, oh, I'm a Christian. I'm accepted. And he starts to feed you acceptance. And you start to go, mmm, this tastes good. Mmm, I like to be accepted. Mmm, it's popular to be a Christian. Even in youth group, mmm, I'm well-liked in youth group. And now because you're addicted to the acceptance, when the day comes for you to take a hard stand, I don't know if I can give up my acceptance. It was popular to be a Christian in my school, but now we're talking about gender identity and sexuality and laws, and now I don't know what to do, and now people are walking out, and I don't know what to do, and now I don't know how to handle it because you've been groomed by Satan's strategy of acceptance. He says, if I can't starve you, I'll make you too fat to move. He doesn't only seduce us with acceptance, he seduces us with sin. And he says, oh, listen, listen, I'm not telling you to get rid of Jesus. I'm just saying add a little something, something on the side. I'm not telling you to stop going to church. I'm just saying those pictures and what we're doing. This is just, it's normal. Come on, come on, come. The most dangerous type of seduction is when it comes from people within the church. Students, this is why we preach the Bible because the day that I start going sideways, the day that I start preaching a different gospel, you will be able to see it coming. Satan tries to seduce us with sin. He could even put false teachers in a church to try to lure people away. That's why I say to you guys every week, you don't wanna know what I have to say. You wanna know what this has to say. Students, this is Satan's strategy to destroy you, to persecute you so you can quit, seduce you so you can compromise. You can understand how these Christians from the West Coast, whether it's the West Coast of Asia or whether it's the West Coast of Washington, you could understand how they're scared, tired, and tempted. And so for them, the big question that they're asking, the big thing that is on their hearts as John writes this letter is this. Will we survive this? (laughs) Will we survive, John? Am I really gonna survive? Or is not only am I gonna survive, not only will I be able to overcome this and stay faithful, will the church even exist after a few years? John, how long before every single Christian is murdered and Christianity becomes a thing of the past? Will the church survive this? Citizens, will you survive this? I just told you a moment ago, you're at war. I cry for you guys when I pray for you because I see you guys are being slaughtered on the front lines of sexuality. You're being slaughtered on the front lines of tolerance. You're being slaughtered on the front lines of naturalism. You guys, I picture this every morning when I pray for you. I picture you guys going into school like little people and there's a giant tidal wave of culture that is threatening to crush you. And I ask myself, Jesus, will they survive this? I've been here long enough to see students that aren't here anymore. I've been here long enough to see some of you that weren't here for a season. You've come back by the grace of God. Do you have any chance? Where are my seniors at? (laughs) You know why there's no wooing right now? Usually when I say, where are my seniors at? They're like, woo! You know why there... (laughs) You know why there's no wooing right now? Because they're asking themselves this question. When I go away to college, will I survive? 
seniors, is there any chance that you still live for Jesus when you go to a college campus? <laughs> like, honestly, oh no, Sam, I'm gonna find a good church. Really? Do you really stand a chance? Do any of us really stand a chance, guys? I see my seventh graders here. I love them. I'm glad you're here. Cassie, you're always rolling deep. You bring like 15 people a week. I love it. Is there really a chance by the time you're a senior in high school, you're still gonna be here on the front row listening to the Bible? Will you? I mean, honestly, guys, there's an enemy of our souls. This is war. Will we survive this? It's to tired Christians, people like you, that John comes along and he writes the book of Revelation. And the message the big idea of the entire book. His powerful yet simple message is this. Citizens, Christians, in the end, we win. In the end, we win. He goes, guys, guys, listen, I know you're tired. I know you're stressed out. I know that you're fearful and being persecuted. I know you're being tempted to quit and tempted to compromise. But this is the message. I've seen a picture of the end. I've seen the end of the movie. And students, you got to see this because at the end of the movie, you realize that we are moving toward a climax. We are moving toward the pinnacle of history where God completely and decisively defeats Satan. I've seen the end of the movie, students. Christ will be victorious. And so those of you who are in Christ will also be victorious. I've seen the end of the movie. We win. <laughs> We win. We win. Don't let persecution tempt you to quit. I saw, the, I saw the end of the movie. I saw the ending. He wins. Don't fear the enemy. Don't listen to the seductive temptation of the world. I saw the ending. Those things lead to death, but those who are in Christ have joy and eternal life forever. Students, I saw the end of the movie. This is what John is saying. I've seen the end. And in the end, we win. We win. And with this confidence, with this encouragement, with this motivation, there's only one thing left to do. Students, there's only one imperative for you, and it's actually the title of our entire series. In light of the ending, there's only one thing left to do. Overcome. Overcome. Conquer, remain steadfast, don't quit, don't give up, endure, do not compromise your purity, do not, do not compromise your integrity. Keep your eyes on Jesus and the ending. Overcome, overcome. You can overcome because Christ has overcome. In the end, we win. That's Revelation. When does Kirk Cameron come into it? Shut it! That's not what it's about! <laughs> when I was a little kid, this is not even, my, I, got, I gotta tell you this. When I was a little kid, I used to read Revelation and get nightmares. How many of you, let's be honest, have you ever had a nightmare about the book of Revelation? Nice. Only the youth staffers are admitting it, right? Because we're secure enough. And Lexi. Hey, Lexi. I used to have nightmares of Revelation. 
That makes me angry. You know why I'm angry? Because the point of revelation is not to scare you. The point of revelation is not to make you play Sherlock Holmes and go, ooh, where's the mystery? (laughs) The original audience knew exactly what he was saying. (laughs) The point of revelation is to encourage a tired and persecuted church, a fearful and exhausted church. Hey, guys, in the end we win. Overcome. To him who overcomes will receive eternal life. Overcome. And that's where we're going to spend the next several weeks. We're going to go through the letters that he wrote to these seven churches. Short little letters. Seven of them. But before we do that, okay, I just told you what his message is. But here's where things get tricky. We go, oh, that sounds good, Sam. I get the book of Revelation now. I'll open it up and start reading. You missed something. Because even though you know what the message is, you need to understand how he gives the message, okay? And for a few moments, I want to show you how he gives this message. Because even though it is a letter written to certain people, it's not a regular letter. This dude on Patmos, looking all configured with the burning oil, he's not sitting here going, oh, I have some thoughts. Let me tell you them. These are not thoughts that he's written down. These are visions that he's seen, okay? And we'll get into this. I'll show you. Jesus Christ shows up in a vision and he says to him, right? And this is why everything that he sees, what he sees is what we're gonna see. And so you're gonna read certain things and you're gonna go, wait a minute. Jesus is standing there with a sword in his mouth? Huh? If you think he's just writing down with his thoughts, you're gonna be like, that's weird. This is a vision. Everything that he sees, we sees. It's, oh, it's really small. Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, Okay? So that's the first thing. This is a vision. This is a visual description of what he is seeing. So let's see what he sees. Oh, it gets weird. (laughs) We start seeing these weird images. Like I said, Jesus with a sword in his mouth. Jesus, why are your eyes on fire? All the better to see you with. (laughs) Right? Like what? (laughs) What are these images? Oh, it's because the book of Revelation is not just a vision. It's an apocalypse. It's an apocalyptic vision. How many of you know what the word apocalypse means? I'm curious. What do you think it means? What does apocalypse mean? Others? Throw it out there, quick. What? Cows? Chaos, okay. Yep. Walkening? Walking dead? There you go. That's exactly what John had in mind. Zombies everywhere. (laughs) No? The end of humanity, right? How many people think apocalypse means end of the world? Wrong. Sorry. Try again later. Apocalypse does not mean end of the world. Apocalypse, literally, for all my word nerds, right? Literally, the word apocalypse means revelation. So when we see revelation, that's literally the Greek word, apocalypto, right? Or apocalyptane means to reveal, Kind of ironic, right? Because we read apocalyptic literature like the book of Revelation and we go, that's confusing. Quite the contrary. Those symbols and numbers and word pictures are actually meant to reveal. It's revealing to you the true nature of things, okay? And so in our apocalypse, we're gonna find pictures, symbols, numbers. All of these things are not meant to keep you in the dark. These things are actually meant to reveal. That's what apocalypse is. Do you guys want to see some weird pictures? You want a little sneak peek? 
All right, let's watch Kirk Cameron. Cue the movie. We'll watch the first hour. Uh, we won't do that. Don't ask who Kirk Cameron is. Okay, so here we go. Here's some pictures. First picture, we see a prostitute. A harlot. Listen, listen, listen. It is church. It's in the Bible, brother. Welcome. Rather than just saying, culture is trying to seduce you. That's what you would say in a letter. No, no, no. In an apocalypse, you say, no, no, no. Picture's worth a thousand words. Culture's like a harlot. And everybody goes, oh, I get it. Culture's trying to seduce you away. Culture's trying to lure you and entice you away from being faithful. Oh, okay. Here's another image. We see this beast with seven heads, part, lo- part leopard, part lion, part dragon, part bear. Why? Why, John? Did John have too much pizza? <laughs> Was John on some trip? No, friends. He's using a very common genre. Everybody knew what these pictures meant. This is a common genre, apocalyptic literature. Most of the images are coming from the Old Testament anyway. And they knew exactly what he meant. Rather than just explicitly saying, Satan is trying to devour you. He says, no, no, Satan is like this monster. And everybody goes, oh, I get it. The true nature of things, the true identity of Satan, that's what it is. These pictures are revealing. We do another, one more. What do you guys think this one means? You guys can help me. Jesus shows up riding the clouds. It's kind of like poetic that it's washed out because it's like radiant. It's perfect. Jesus shows up and he's riding the clouds on a white horse with a sash and he's shooting people or he's killing the beast. I have no idea what that means. I guess we'll never know. It's it's the images, right? Jesus is a king riding a horse dressed in white, the ultimate pure, victorious, conquering king and he slays the beast. Do you need to have a theology degree to translate this for students? Or are we going to get caught up on the, so there's literally going to be a sword in Jesus' mouth? No, it's a symbol. Jesus wins. And he doesn't have to lift a sword because his word is the sword. And he speaks and, the, and the, the, the beast is dead. There's no conflict of Satan and Jesus. Jesus says, a two, and Satan's dead. <laughs> Imagine if you like spit out daggers every time you sneeze, right? <laughs> Some Ragnarok stuff right there. So these are the images, right? So not only will we find images, I'm just giving you a warning. If you're like checked out, good riddance. You know, you know, if, but if you're excited, dude, I'm just giving you a heads up of the images you're gonna find in the Revelation, right? Not only do we see images, we also find numbers, right? Secret mystery. We have to decode the numbers and then put them backwards so we can find the omega code so we can identify the antichrist so we can know the day of the week that Jesus is coming. Stop. That's stuff on the internet. That's not what this is about. Numbers have very clear, understandable meanings. So the number seven, completion, perfection, whole. What, what are some things you think of when you hear the, the number seven? Seven days in a week. Seven days in a week. Seven, complete. It's done. It's full. So we're going to see next week, check it out. Check it out. We're going to see next week that the seven spirits we're with God the Father. Oh, there's seven spirits now? The Holy Spirit multiplied? No, he's meaning that the Spirit is completely and holy with the Father. That's seven, complete. You'll see the number seven a lot. Three, what is three? The Trinity, God. Three is the number of God. 
Okay, well, we're getting this. 12. What do you think of 12? 12 tribes, what else? 12 apostles. Oh, wait a minute. So 12 is the number of God's people. So whenever you see the number 12, he's referring to God's people. If you want to say a lot of God's people, you do 12 times 12, which is 144. If you want to say a lot, a lot, a lot of God's people, add a bunch of zeros on the end. What do you got? 144,000. The Jehovah Witnesses were right. Only 144,000 of us are getting in. Stop it. I hope I draw a lucky number. What? He's saying a lot of the people of God. So when we just apply a little bit of knowledge and a little bit of understanding, we get this. There's numbers, there's pictures. But friends, this was not a mystery. When the original tired church was reading this book, they wouldn't have been like, huh. They would have been like, yeah. They would have been hyped because they understood the numbers. They understood the symbol and they understood the message. In the end, we win. That's where you clap. Welcome to Revelation. Are you guys excited for the book of Revelation? Do you guys feel like you're ready to explore the Revelation? All right. We can talk. And so here's what I want us to do. I want you to stand to your feet. And what we're going to do is we're going to read the first three verses together, okay? Shh. This is God's word. Let's read this, all right? It's very important that you are not talking during this time because of what's said here. I want you to hear. Don't just listen, hear, or yeah, hear. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Let's go TSAP, here we go. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, I told you, John wrote this, who testifies to everything that he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. I'm getting a blessing right now. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. This is God's word. Students, this is the only book of the Bible that promises a blessing for listening and heeding it. There's a reason why this prophetic vision is the last book in our Bibles. The reason why it's the canon, because it completes, it's the climax of God's redemptive history. In the end, we win, so overcome overcome. You will be blessed as you read the words of this because you will be steeled. You will be fortified. You will be encouraged. You will become confident in your ability to overcome because Jesus Christ has overcome. You'll be confident to face your adversary, the devil, whether it's in the seductive culture or whether it's in the persecution of of enemies. Even though they want you to feel like you're on the losing side, even though they want you to feel stupid, like you're a minority Christian, You'll be blessed as you read this book. You'll have confidence, even to the point of death, because you know that in the end, 
we win. So overcome. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord. Thank you for this phenomenal book, Lord. I, I admit, Lord, at times it's, it, it was confusing and I'm like, who even needs it? God, forgive me because this is phenomenal. Thank you for encouraging us. Thank you for helping us to see or, or letting us see the end of the movie so that we can live this point of the movie. Lord, thank you for helping us endure this moment by seeing that Jesus Christ is Lord of all the moments. And so God, I pray for this community of students. I pray that they would overcome whether it's persecution or whether it's seduction to compromise, I pray that you would help them to overcome, that they would see the end of the movie and realize that at the end of, uh, at the end of all of this, sin will lead to death, enemies will be vanquished, but those in Christ will have eternal life. Lord, we love you. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, here's how I want us to respond. We're gonna sing a song here. But for the next couple moments, I want you to just turn to one person next to you, just two, two people, right? Pair up. And I want you to pray for one another. And here's how I want you to pray. Lord, help them overcome. It's that simple. You can ask them maybe where they need specific prayer, but let's pray for one another that we would be able to stand in this war. Because it's a war. And overcome. Sound good? Let's pray.